Hello, and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. All right, so my theme today, at least I think what my theme is, is um, spiritual maturity. That's something I, I kind of, kind of had on my mind this week, you know, kind of prepping for the message and reading my own self, and um, really this concept of this, the mature sons and daughters of God, which Romans eight says that all of creation is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. It's that all of creation literally is is groaning and and releasing even sound and yearning for the sons and daughters of God to be manifest, you know. It also says there in Romans 8 that those who are led of the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so there's something to this Christian walk, this, you know, the Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, like I am led by God in every aspect of my life. I walk in connection to Him um, that the corruption that came in through the fall, which spread over the entire planet. Jesus has paid for, for it to be re- completely reversed. He broke that curse, and we are the agents of that release in the world, you know. And it's really cool, but um, there's so many different verses concerning maturity, and, um, but for mine today, you know, I felt like starting with James 1, verse 2 through 4. And um, it's the one that says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience, some of your Bible will say. And let patience have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And... Um, you know that word perfect, that teleos, it's like, it's like completely and fully mature. And, and even that word complete, like it's, it's talking about being completely and totally whole. It's the essence of everything that is of the new covenant that Jesus has paid for us to step into, coming into the maturity of that reality and being whole in our heart and mind and soul and spirit and body. And um, this wholeness that we're called to walk around and manifest is the is the manifestation of the authority of heaven and we're called to walk in this way as a light into the world but it's interesting because james starts it off with saying count it all joy when you when you encounter and go through various trials which just sounds so twisted to me you know when you just say it like hey rejoice be happy about testings that you go through in this life and um uh, but the reality is these guys weren't exactly normal, the disciples, you know. And this isn't actually James the disciple. This is Jesus' little brother, James, his little half-brother. You know what I'm saying? But they all had this concept. I think of, I think of the disciples in the book of Acts getting beat up, you know, by the Jews and getting roughed up and then getting released and going down the road, and they're all, like, laughing about it. And like happy over it. They're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? These guys is like, if you're watching this without the context, like these guys are idiots. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they realized that the kickback they were receiving in life was producing something real. 
And the other side of the tracks, the kingdom of heaven, which they were called as representatives, had become so very real to them that the contrast they were manifesting was causing, was forcing the enemy out into the street. And it's not like, oh, you know, the devil's attacking me. It's like, no. I've come, come to realize something is that, is that we're not victims in this walk. There's no such thing as it. A victim mentality is poisonous. It is toxic. Sabotages and sidelines people, especially in the Christian walk, you know. And we're not even conquerors, it says we're actually more than conquerors. It's like we have this confidence in walking with God that even those things that seem like trials that come against us, they are an opportunity for us to manifest heaven and for heaven to be real to us in our heart and mind so that we are manifestors of that reality, ambassadors of it, really. Like this is our walk. And I think a lot of times we waste, people waste their trials and the things that, the resistance they feel in life, instead of seeing it in the perspective, the heavenly perspective of like, oh, you know, the devil's coming after me, man. It's like, no. <laughs> it's like, listen, when you sign up with this life, the Lord is my shepherd. When you, when you go all in with him, you realize you've actually joined a militant force that is seeking to invade the world. Right? Matthew 16, it's like, you know, the gates of hell won't prevail. On this rock I'll build my church, all these things. That's the mission statement of what church is. I tell you, Peter, blessed are you, because you've heard this from your Father in heaven. And, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. It's their gates, not ours. You know what I mean? We're not playing defense here. Like, oh no, the devil's knocking on my door, he's pushing on me, you know what I mean? It's just like, no, no, we're knocking on their door. They love to function in darkness if they have it their own way. But the Lord is calling them out into the road. That's like a Clint Eastwood movie is what it sounds like. But he's calling us to walk in such a way that it forces darkness to manifest. It is light which makes darkness manifest. That's what the scripture says, you know what I mean? And so we're actually on offense completely and totally on offense. And when you have this mentality, you realize even the trials and the things we face is a part of the offensive that we've partnered with the unleashing of in the world. And it's a completely different mentality. It's a completely different perspective. And this is actually what faith looks like. It's a whole different game. And so the disciples are like, <laughs> you know, like walking around with their black eyes, joking around about the, the, the kickback they were getting. You know what I mean? And then, you know, the leader, one of the biggest leaders of the early church, this guy named James, is like, count it all joy when you encounter these trials because it's doing something in faith inside of you. It's causing it to be real and, and real in such a way that it cannot be shaken by the world. And when your mind is so convinced of that reality, you cannot help but release that reality everywhere you go. And boy, it is contagious. Yeah. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it, you know. I've seen this meme once, you know, and I thought it was absolutely hilarious. And it was somebody saying, <laughs> you know, you know, the devil's really been after me lately. And then it shows a little cartoon picture of the devil riding a surfboard on a wave, like, you know, hanging tin or something like, he's like, that's, I'm actually on vacation. That's all you chief. You know what I mean? Something like that. <laughs> kind of like, like, I think a lot of times we give credit to darkness that we shouldn't, you know what I mean? Sometimes it's the fruit of our own decisions, but so often it's the, it's, it's the essence of actually following through on the things that which are of the kingdom 
and it forces darkness out so that it can be routed amongst us, you know. And it changes, it changes all these things that the scripture talks about, like not being anxious for anything, but by everything with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. It's like, it's like, don't be an anxious and don't be fearful and don't have these mentalities. Peter wrote that, you know, it's like, and instead actually have thanksgiving for the things you're walking in and through because it's there for you to overcome them, right? You think about the, the 12, uh, the spies that were actually sent out, one from each tribe of Israel, right? When, when Moses goes, go spy out the promised land, and 10 of them came back and said, there's Nephilim there, there's giants, there's monsters, we're like grasshoppers to them. And two of the spies come back and saying, hey, they're going to be food for us, Joshua and Caleb. Like, this is great. Amen. One perspective says, oh no, it's, it's frightening. We need to hide. We need to run off and run away and hide. And there's a completely different perspective that sees through the lens of God, through the eternal perspective of the finished work, the kingdom of heaven, the reality that God is with us and says, hey, let's have a buffet down there. That's the golden corral. Them giants, you know, different game. One produces complaint. I've heard it said, and I don't know who to give credit to. Um, it might've been something we read here. I, I'm not really even sure, but that complaining is the language of unbelief. And man, it is. Just like James says, you know, the, the tongue is, is like a rudder steers your entire ship. It's like complaining, that negative talk is the confession of unbelief. And it, it's, it's really, if I could probably coin this one, it is the language, it is the tongue of a victim. Yes. That's what complaining is. Yes. But the empowered sees things in a different way. And this is Christian maturity. Not only just counting it all joy when we encounter various trials, there's so many other ways we can, we can go with that. But it's like I was reading something this week in the book of Exodus 15, and it's something for some reason I had never really thought about or seen for its simplicity. But it was right after, um, it's beautiful, and Exodus 14 is like the, the chapter of, uh, of literally God using Moses and, and the Israelites parting the Red Sea, and, and all of Pharaoh and Egypt are coming after him, you know what I mean? What we understand now is this prophetic symbolism of baptism. Their old identity, the people of Israel's old identity was as the slaves. They were a slave to Egypt, to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was following them. He was intimidating them. He was hunting them down. You know what I mean? And, and here they are crossing and they get to the Red Sea. Their back is literally against the wall, so to speak, against the water wall. And God makes a complete brand new way. Moses holds up the staff. You know what I'm saying? The waters part to the right and the left. They become like walls on the side. They walk through the, 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 the Red Sea completely on dry ground. By the time all of Israel gets crossed the Red Sea, thousands of people, then Pharaoh and the chariots, they start charging down, trying to come after them. But what happens? You know what I mean? That, that wall comes down on them. That wall of water comes and swallows them. And every bit of Egypt that was chasing them was swallowed in the Red Sea. And we understand this is baptism to us. This is, this is the reality of I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's like every bit of my old identity was swallowed in that water. And now I'm on the other side. I'm somebody new. You know, Israel, a prince with God. One who's wrestled with God, a prince with God. This royal identity. And so Israel's coming across, and it's not a language of unbelief now, boy. It's like they're singing, they're partying. You know, if you like music, you know, Exodus 15 is, Moses is, is, is speaking out to all of Israel, and he's, he's, 
he's jiving. You know, Exodus 15, he's like, he's singing a song about what God has done. And then his sister gets in on the, you know, she starts jamming around too. Miriam starts, you know, sing to the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. You know, it's just like, it's this celebration. They're, they've officially come out of their old self. And to me, this is like the, the entrance. It's the wilderness, so to speak, in a sense. But what it is, it's the entrance of walking in this life and what Christian maturity starts to look like. And what they're doing is like, we're new people. Now we're following God following Moses who's following God and we're following him we're covered by him and they're coming into this reality and God starts to lead them through the wilderness but something happens that they didn't expect they're looking for water for three days and don't have any which that's kind of a long time not to have water now they probably had some water that they were carrying with them but I don't know how much of that lasted over a three-day period for their families their livestock so it's getting kind of tough you know so they did something which which is a manifestation. Remember the, the language of unbelief. Is, you know, complaining is the language of unbelief. But they started to complain against Moses. And like, oh, you know, like, what's going on? We don't have any water. And they came upon this place called, well, it ends up being called um, Meribah. Or they came to Marah. And they couldn't drink the waters of Marah because they were bitter. And so, literally, the waters of that place are called, Marah literally means bitter. And the people, they finally get to some water, but they're like, we can't, get, we don't got no water. Like, you know, you brought us out here. This, it's poisonous. It says, so Moses cries out to the Lord in Exodus 15, 25. And it says, the Lord shows Moses a tree. He's like, hey, look at this. And, um, you know, the word for tree is, is eights, and it's like, it's plural for some reason, because some of your translations will say log, but it's plural logs. Um, but he shows them this tree, this log, this logs, this set of logs, you know what I'm saying? And, he, and it says, when Moses had it cast into the water, he cast the thing into the water, the bitter water was changed and made sweet. And it's, you know, it really seems, it's very similar. I think we talked, it was sometime in this summer, we've talked about, um, you know, Elisha, when he, when he threw the stick into the water for the, to the recovery of the axe head, you know, I think that was, you know, 2 Kings 6, and the thing floats up in this prophetic picture of the, of the, of the cross being applied to the water, and it's, it's beautiful. But here we have a very early picture of the cross being, being applied in our life. He you know, cursed is the one who hangs on the tree. And this tree, this magical tree, it doesn't say anything else about it right there in, the, in verse 25, but this tree, he shows him a tree as the answer, and he has it uprooted and thrown into that water, and it turns the bitter water to sweet. And he made a statute and an ordinance with him. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do its right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes. I'll put none of those diseases that were upon the Egyptians upon you. I actually am the Lord who heals you. And it's this beautiful picture like, hey, he's establishing his identity with his people, you know. And they're like, oh, what have you, you've brought us out here to kill us or there wasn't enough graves in Egypt. You know, the type of complaints that these guys constantly throw off against Moses, which is really against God. As if God is, is not the good guy, you know. And God is starting, starting their actual trek 
by healing water that he brings them out to, reversing poisonous water for them and establishing him like, hey, I'm not the one that gives you sickness. I'm the one that actually takes away sickness. Yeah. And like this is his, this is his essence to them. In Deuteronomy 7, it says, I will take away all sickness from you. Like, they didn't get sick in the wilderness. You know what I mean? It was just like they were covered by a cloud by day, by a fire over the night. The, sh the soles of their shoes never wore out all those years that they were there, and nobody got sick. It's a prophetic picture of the alignment that they were walking in with God. But even as they were singing that first song, and I, you know, they wrote that song, and in that middle piece of the song, or extra piece of that first song, that was so... Saucy, man. Gee whiz, man. Um, but they were talking about the reversal, the healing of all generations. And this is the reality, this prophetic picture of the cross being thrown into the water of mankind, the gene pool of humanity, which had been reversed, it had been turned poisonous by the fruit and the effect of the fall. And God's literally breaking them out. The very first, the very first thing they come out of of Pharaoh's control, Satan's control, their identity of slaves, slaves to sin, that whole thing is completely broken off of them. They go on a three-day journey, you know, there's that number, and they step to this place of bitter water and God changes the game for them by throwing the, the cross, literally, by him throwing his life into the gene pool of mankind. Like Jesus comes and he, he literally goes into the depths of all of humanity for the reversal of all the effects of the fall. Yeah. And this is our communion. Yeah. This is what Apostle Paul's talking about. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he who, you know, eats in an unworthy manner, this ritualistic communion. You know what I'm saying? They, they do it without reverence. And because of this, some are sick and some die early and all these different things. I like, there's reverence, there's understanding to what Jesus has done. And God is like actually forecasting this walk to his people at the very beginning of it by reversing everything that's in their, in their way. And it's this beautiful walk and this prophetic picture for all of us that's like shows like this tree, this Matthew 22, what are, the, what are the greatest commandments? You know, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. These two beams of the cross, one is up and down, one is side to side. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Like they hang all the sin of mankind. They hang all the rules and regulations. It's like this has actually reversed the bitterness and the poison of what's come onto humanity. And you guys are called to walk free from it from here on out. Yeah. Yeah. Now it was a maturing, a maturing walk of, of Israel just like it is for his disciples, just like it is for us who are disciples. You know, And it's something that we're gradually taking thoughts captive. I love that. In the very next verse, he explains to them that he's the God who heals them. And in verse 27, it says, Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. And so they camped by the waters. And that's the end of the chapter. And I love this reality. It's, it's so very beautiful to me. Um, I think you think of the desert and, and the wilderness where they were gone and where they were going, it's like their first encounter with the Lord, let alone the plagues, let alone the Red Sea parting, all this incredibly powerful otherworldly stuff happening, is they come and he reverses this water by this tree. I keep wanting to say magical tree, but that'll offend some people, but you, you know what I'm saying, this mystical, powerful, 
transaction, which was a prophetic picture of his cross. And as they drank from that pure, sweet water, they, they come to this place of 12, 12 springs in the earth and 70 palm trees. That sounds like an oasis in the wilderness, if anything, to me. I mean, that just sounds absolutely beautiful. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's where they camped. And I'm just like, hey, can we call this the promised land and not keep going? <laughs> like, this is awesome. Twelve tribes. There's twelve springs of water coming out of just crystal out of the earth, you know, and 70 palms. But we understand that these things, right? We understand 1 Corinthians 10. We understand what Romans 15 says. These stuff, all this stuff is, it's literal, it is history, but it's all a prophetic picture for us. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come, it says in 1 Corinthians 10 version. But it's like these things were all written and they went through all these things for us to see. Those who were called to walk according to this new covenant reality. It was all a prophetic forecast from us to actually reach in, look in, and actually take for our lives. So it's not taking it out of context. It's taking it 100% in context, literal and spiritual. And this 12 springs of water, and this 70 palm trees, this 12 and the 70, I think we all, you know, if you've been around the block for a while, you understand this is the discipleship of Jesus Christ. You know, he had his 12 and he had his 70. And if you look at like, you know, Matthew 10, or if you look at like, Luke 9 and then Luke 10. It's the story of the 12 and the story of the 70, just back to back. It's like those who are following God, who are empowered by Him, and the way they were empowered, what, what set them apart from regular human beings is they were sent out to release heaven. Yeah. And that's the beauty of Christian maturity and discipleship in this walk. One, He was teaching them, hey, when I send you up against something like, oh, we're out here for three days. Oh, the water's bitter. It's like negative on negative on negative. But it's like if you guys will start to learn the things you run into that look contrary, it just might be that I'm wanting to rewire your minds by faith because I want to do something natural, supernatural and change the way you view things. And if anybody had a, a, a right to have a rewired mind, if you watch the Israelites throughout the entire book, this book, and the book of Numbers is real good because it tells all the wilderness stories. It's just like he came through on these supernatural bases so many times. And for a lot of times in the earlier chapters, they got really sour and complained about a lot of things. You know what I mean? And it was okay because they were immature. But then after a while, that negativity, the more you know better, you start to forecast your own future, and it started to them to get really off track and catch a smackdown from the bad guys. You know, it's just the, the, the most Cliff Notes way you can kind of put that. But it's like he is, he is rewiring them that like, look, count it all joy that you encounter trials. Hey, this is a trial, this is an opportunity, for what I am established in, the kingdom I represent, to manifest itself in a way that trumps this reality. Not only for me, because it's the, the patience grows and your faith is established, but it's also to be a light into the world. And can you imagine having this much faith that you walk with thanksgiving no matter what you encounter? It might be like Romans 8 goes on to say, you know what I'm saying, that all things work for the good for those who are love God, called in according to his purposes. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it might be like that. If you back up, dude, if you back up to Exodus 14 and you hear, hear God even dealing with Moses before they cross the river, 
Moses is leading the people out. You got all these plagues like, all right, we're out of there. We're doing good. God comes to Moses and says, hey, listen to this new plan. He's like, I want you guys to go over here and park close to the Red Sea, which is strategically like, well, that's dumb because we don't have, if they come after us, we got nowhere to go. He's like, I'm going to send you down this dark alley. You know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to let the hardness of Pharaoh's heart manifest in such a way that he'll come after you. And if I'm Moses, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound good. Why? 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, that my glory may be known to the Egyptians. That the Egyptians may know that I'm the Lord. It's just like, what? It's like, man, who cares about them? We hate them. You know, we think, no, that I may kill them. It's like, no, I want the Egyptians to know who I am. I want... I want the people of the world to know who, you, who I am. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, what is this? So Moses tells the, tells the Israelites, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go camp here. <laughs> and they start, what did they start doing? What they always did, when, especially when they were immature. Were there not enough graves in Egypt? We could have died there. What is this? <laughs> we were, at least we got food there. Da, 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 da. You know, all the, da, 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 da. just do it. Just do it. Then the fire by day, the cloud in the night, actually comes down and builds a wall between them and the Egyptians long enough for that Red Sea to part. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine seeing trial that way? Ooh, good idea, Lord. I'm in a bad situation. This is an opportunity for you to be seen. Imagine just thinking that way. That would be the Christian way. You know what I mean? It's not, it's, not, it's not that we, we, we make bad decisions not seeking the kingdom and we get ourselves in a mess and then blame it on God. You know what I mean? Right? Well, maybe not. Uh, what it is is that actually we seek first the kingdom. We follow through in all that he has. And when there is hindrance or when there is kickback, if we're following him, it's just like, all right, so how, how does this manifest? It's like Elisha. There's that second Kings again. It's like the army comes and camps outside of Elisha where he's staying, the Syrian army. His, his servant walks out in the morning and says, oh my gosh, we're about to get killed, we're about to be annihilated. And, and Elisha prays that his eyes would be open. Open this boy's eyes. And what does he see? The chariots of heaven that actually supersede the bad guys. And Elisha, what, what one man looked as like, oh gosh, this is going to be the end of us. Elisha was like, all right, Lord, you brought this army to me. You've given them into my hand, you know? And if you can't see what Elisha's thinking, seeing, you're like, this guy's an idiot. He has a death wish. But in reality, Elisha's living on another, another plane, man. He's living on that, you know, Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. This place is plastic and fake compared to the reality of the kingdom which I am called to actually manifest here. It is a frame, and we're called to partner with our Father in manifesting heaven in this space. And the enemy has used fear and manipulation and pressure all over it to paint his facade of what is real. And the sons and daughters of the king walk around and bow to it and act like it's, gonna, it's okay that way and make an excuse because... It, well, when we die, we'll go to heaven. You know what I mean? And that's not all right. It just ain't. 
And God's got his people, Israel, just even this, part of the Red Sea, changing their identity, bringing them out into this place, showing them, going into their DNA, going into their reality, changing things for them, manifesting himself to them, and gently teaching them these tests of like, hey, when it looks like, when you're following me and it looks like you run up against the wall, guess what? That's going to be good. Rejoice about that kind of thing. Understand that faith is becoming real on the inside of you. It's becoming what you believe here is going to be a part of what you believe down in here. From your head into your spirit, into your, into your soul. and it's, it's your reality. And partnering with that reality and the identity of God, which obviously even in that story was being enforced in them, we actually start to see like he sees. Yeah. This is true discipleship. This is the 12 and the 70. This is what this looks like. The very next chapter in Exodus 16, there's another test where the Lord says, Behold, I'm going to rain bread from heaven amongst all your people. And the people are going to have to go out every day and, and gather the bread every single day. The Exodus 16, what we, what we end up calling manna because that's what they call it, as this test that they would trust that it would always be there. These things are the basis of the Christian walk. It's the fellowship and the koinonia of God and his people. It's like our bread comes from him, our water comes from him. This discipleship, it, it all even runs into stuff like John 4 when Jesus is at the well with the woman saying like, I have water that actually will come out of you. You know what I'm saying? wells of living water it's like this discipleship this 12 and this 70 i have food to eat that people don't know about he says things like this on a constant basis it's like when you come to discipleship and you come to the 12 you come to the 70 you start to realize none of this is even really fully about me it's called to be established in me and that's what wilderness was really about it established in them so they can go through the next baptism the next river crossing and then they can establish it in the land but it's like this whole reality is called to be in our heart and our mind in such a profound way that we manifest it everywhere we go. But I'm not into this mentality of like, well, just don't let your experience be your theology and you just go around swinging your stick at everything you see that doesn't line up with heaven and the world. It's like, I, can, I catch that a little bit, but what I truly believe is just like in this story, he's wanting it to be a part of his people. Not even second nature, like nature, first nature. The identity of God, like, hey, that's not for me. I'm, the, I'm Rafa. I'm, I'm healer. I'm reverser. And I'm not even talking about physical healing. That counts. It's 100% it's counts. But it's just like, you can come into every bit of agreement of who I am in your life and for you and out of agreement with every preconceived notion of fear that you had about me before. And that's what he's establishing with his people. And that's what true maturity looks like as well with us. It's like coming to this lens of like seeing God as he truly is and walking that out in the earth. He's calling it to, he's, he's wanting it to be so established in us that it is our message, that we're the banner of that reality. So I think that's the point of the day. I think there's probably a lot of them in there. Um, but the reality is this, it's like don't waste trials it's like don't waste them don't 
definitely don't waste it by self-medicating it. It's so easy to feel a pressure or, 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 or feel something that we're stressed about and just get onto our phone and just chill. Like, I'm checking out of this for a while. You know what I mean? I'm scrolling until I feel better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let alone, let alone all the ways that we can self-medicate, whether it's legal or illegal. We know we don't have to go into all that kind of stuff. It's just like instead face head on our trials and embrace them, be thankful for what we're dealing with. Even if it's tension in relationships and stuff, we're causing things to manifest in our heart. It's like the Lord allows it in order for us to actually be more whole and full of Him. He wants to establish His kingdom in our hearts and in the world. But if we're going to be ambassadors in the world, we, got to have, we have to have heaven in our heart. we got to be abiding in that reality here. Not like scribes. They hear Jesus talk like, man, he's not like the scribes. Why? You know what I mean? Because Jesus lived what he was saying. He believed what he was saying. So it had weight in the world. It shook things. It caused a trembling. Like, oh, this guy believes what he's saying. He's living what he's saying. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if, man, I would be the worst ambassador of Paris. Like, first, you don't even speak English very good. You don't speak French. You don't know about their teas and their coffees and their clothes and all. I don't know about any of that stuff. So how could I be an ambassador of a place I've never been? Did that analogy work? I think, <laughs> I think it kind of did. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It doesn't make no sense. You know what I mean? But if you live that life, you abide in that reality. And that's what the wilderness was about. Like, hey, abide in this reality. It wasn't testing them to mess with them. It was actually to establish. He wasn't taking them out of Egypt. He was taking the culture of Egypt out of them and having the culture of heaven be theirs so that when they crossed over, they would establish that culture everywhere they were. We can't skip, we can't skip the line in this game. We've got to live what we believe. We've got to embrace the opportunities to live what we believe. And count it joy. The righteousness, peace, and joy that which is of the kingdom. Yeah, God's actually very good and very kind. And and there's something about this life that it is completely submerging ourselves into its reality. That's what baptism was. And for them, there was a second one, which was the Jordan River. You know what I mean? There was a second baptism where the thing passed up and they crossed through that. You know what I'm saying? See, we understand the baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit being one, you know, because Jesus went and baptized in the Jordan. You know what I'm saying? But these guys were kind of having to go through some Duncans, the line of Duncan. You know what I mean? You know? So, but uh, for us, it's fully submerging. Jesus is like, why call me Lord, Lord? Don't do what I say. If you don't follow through, you don't live this life, then it's not, you're, it's not really Christianity. But that's just what I think. Ask me what I really think about it sometime. All right. Well, Lord, we thank you for this day and, and the reality of your goodness and kindness. And that you're such a gentle and good shepherd who is leading us into truth, but also leading us into victory. And I thank you that even the things that sometimes we see as trials or pressures, you see it as, as a graduation or an ability to qualify us and to establish us in, the, in a greater reality of heaven, that we would have the authority to release that reality on the earth. And we just come into agreement with you, Rafa, the God who heals mankind, 
who redeems us from every bit of the effects of the fall of Adam, who's brought us out of darkness into a marvelous light that we are called to manifest that light into the world. And we give you today, we give you our minds freshly. We give you our minds and our lives in every aspect where you're growing us into maturity. Let us recognize every avenue that you're bringing us through and embrace your vision in those places and not a fallen, temporary, fearful one. We want to be the agents of this new, co this new covenant. Yes. We want the full reality of what you've paid for, Lord Jesus, to be ours, to walk in it. We don't take it lightly. And we want to release it on the earth. Amen.